You know, being that red nose on that uh, operation game reminded me of another red nose that's popular this time of year, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. And on Christmas Eve, my family and I did what I think I've done every Christmas Eve for as long as I can remember. We watched Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. And uh, as a child, I loved that cartoon, that claymation cartoon. It was just always one of my favorites. And and I think maybe because when I was little, I was a very red-headed boy. I mean, it glowed bright. I mean, it was, I had a bright, people called me Opie Taylor when I was a little kid. And so I kind of felt picked on and, and left out. So I sort of, I could identify with Rudolph. Uh, but the main characters in that TV special, think about them, Rudolph, Hermie, even the abominable snowman, they all thought they were misfits. They felt like they didn't belong, they didn't fit in. And, and at one point they even visit the island of misfit toys. So the message of that cartoon really is that there are no misfits. I mean, think about it. Rudolph's red nose actually kind of came in handy on that foggy Christmas Eve to lead Santa's sleigh. Uh, Hermie became the dentist up at the North Pole. And I guess all those elves, you know, they're eating sugary candy all year long. They need a dentist. And even that bumble found his place, putting that star on the top of the Christmas tree every year. And I think that's the reason that Rudolph has gone down in history. I think it's because his story reminds us that no matter who we are, no matter how different we feel or how out of place we might seem, we are all uniquely gifted for a special purpose. And that's not just a nice sentiment to remember on a Christmas cartoon every year. That's not just a saying for a motivational poster. That's a truth straight out of God's Word. We heard in our Old Testament reading this morning that God is like a potter. And He is shaping us exactly as He wants us to be. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians that as believers in Jesus, as members of His church, he tells us there in verse 18, the last verse of our New Testament reading, that God, in fact, has arranged us like parts in the body, every one of us, just as He wanted us to be. If they had jigsaw puzzles in Paul's day, I think maybe he might have even used that analogy. If you've ever built a jigsaw puzzle, anybody like building jigsaw puzzles? It takes a lot of patience to build a jigsaw puzzle and a lot of table space, right? You've got to have a big table to build a jigsaw puzzle. But I think about those like those 1,000-piece or 2,000-piece jigsaw puzzles. Each one of those pieces are unique. And that's amazing to think about. You look at that box full of those puzzle pieces. If you take the shape of the piece and the picture that's printed on it, no two pieces are alike. And there's only one place in that whole puzzle for each piece to go. They each have their own special place. And only they can complete the picture in their own unique way. Well, I think that's a beautiful description of the church. Because in the same way God has shaped and put His image upon each one of us and has placed us exactly as He needs us to be so we can show the world a complete picture of who Jesus is so that His body can function as God intends it to and we can fulfill the purpose that God has given us. And I think a lot of Christians, maybe even most Christians, don't realize their unique place in God's kingdom and in His work in the world. God has called each of us to the greatest task ever given, 
to be a part of the greatest rescue plan the world has ever known. We have been given the most urgent and important job ever, more important than any U.S. senator, more important than a governor, a president, a scientist, or a doctor, because nothing short of the eternity of people's souls hangs in the balance. It is a monumental task that God has given each and every one of us, that He's given us as a church. And not only has God commissioned us with such great a task, He has equipped us to actually be able to accomplish it. It sounds like when you think about the Great Commission, when you think about what God has called us to do as the church, it seems like it's a mission impossible. But it's not. He's given us everything we need to do the work that He's called us to do. Think about in Matthew chapter 28, when Christ gave the Great Commission, He also promised us His presence and His power. He said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Me. Therefore, go. Because of that, because He has this authority, He's now giving us that authority to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely, He says, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He promises us His authority. He promises us His presence. In Acts 1.8, He also promises us His Holy Spirit to empower us so that we can fulfill this great commission starting right here in Thompson and going to the ends of the earth. And so my prayer for this new sermon series we're beginning today is it will help us to consider how God has uniquely shaped each and every one of us to be the people He's created us to be. He's saved us to be and He is daily growing us to be. And it's all for His glory, for our good, and for the furthering of His gospel of grace. Years ago, many years ago, Rick Warren uh, came up with this acronym of SHAPE. And a lot of pastors and churches have adopted it. Uh, it's something that I, I've researched and used through my doctoral work and uh, look, talking about church revitalization here. And, and we've talked about this before. I've offered a couple of Sunday night classes on this and, and even preached on this in the past. And I've looked and I've researched and I've studied and I've not found anything better than this acronym to really help us grasp all the unique and different ways that God has built us to be a church, a body of Christ, to fulfill His great commission. You know, one of our church's core values that we developed as part of our revitalization is that we are people-empowering church. And that means that we are seeking to help people know and live out their strengths and their gifts on mission. So we believe firmly that every single member of First Baptist Church in Thompson, Georgia, has been and is being uniquely shaped by God for the purpose of helping us as a church fulfill the Great Commission and glorify God. And if you're a member of this church, maybe you've been a member of this church for decades, maybe you're a brand new member of this church, God has brought you here for a reason. You're not here by accident. You're not just here to warm a pew. You're not just here to be a name on a roll. You are here as a part of the body of Christ with a mission, with a purpose to help build up this congregation, to help make more disciples, and bring glory to God. And so we commit to be the kind of church where every member is equipped, encouraged, and empowered to do their part in carrying out that mission. Based on their shape, based on each of your unique God-given strengths and abilities and and, and the giving of His Holy Spirit. And so we're going to look at these five characteristics. And we're going to do a quick overview of them today, but then we're going to take each Sunday and look at these 
and discover our shape so we can find a place of ministry that will not only bless the church and the community, but will be a blessing to us. And that's the great secret of serving in the church, is it blesses you as much as God uses you to bless other people. So we're going to focus on that over the next few weeks. And, And as I said earlier, we're going to give you some tools to help you discover how God has uniquely shaped you. And that begins with the first part here, spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts. It's probably one of the most misunderstood teachings in the New Testament, mainly because people mistakenly think of spiritual gifts like ingredients. Okay, like, like, like they're ingredients in something that God is baking. Okay, but God doesn't just give us things when He gives us spiritual gifts. He's not giving us some things. He's giving us Himself. See, really there's only one spiritual gift, just one, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the spiritual gift that God gives to every believer. Preaching and teaching and faith and giving and prophesying and serving, these are all manifestations of the Holy Spirit at work in and through us. So each thing that we refer to and call a spiritual gift, those are simply different expressions of God's Grace, God's Spirit equipping us and working through us. In Philippians 2.13, Paul says, It is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill His good purpose. So anything good you or I may do in serving God, we can't take the credit, can we? Because who is it that's working and acting through us? It's God who's doing the work through us. Now, the Bible mentions approximately 19 spiritual gifts, and and none of those lists, I think, are comprehensive. And no person, no one person has all of those expressions of the Spirit, those manifestations of grace. No one person has all of them at the same time. And that's by design, because God wants us to rely on His Spirit, and He wants us to rely on each other. He wants us to need each other. Our New Testament reading said, you know, the the hand can't say, I'm not a part of the body because I'm not an eye. Because where would the body be if we were all eyes? Just picture that. That's gross. You know, I'm glad we're not just all eyeballs, right? We need all of these various parts of our body to function. So no one person has every element, every spiritual gift at the same time. But each and every one of us has spiritual gifts. You know, I think about, especially during COVID, and I've been talking with several of you, when you lose that sense of taste and smell, you really begin to appreciate how important those senses are. And I think of people that have lost abilities. Maybe they've lost a hand or, or a leg, and, and they, they lack that ability, and, and they miss it, and they, they have to adapt to it. And, and it. and it makes their quality of life more difficult to attain. Think about a church. When we deprive God's people of a foot of an eye, of the sense of taste or smell, we make it harder for the church to fulfill its functions, to do the things that God has created us to do. And so in the same way, no one spiritual gift is more important than another spiritual gift. We shouldn't take anyone in our church, any gifts for granted. We all have different gifts, and so we have to work together in order for the body of Christ to fully function. Paul explains the purpose of spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians 12, 7. He says, now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit. Now, I mentioned that. That's what a spiritual gift is. It's just a manifestation of the Spirit. He says they're given for what? The common good. And in Ephesians 
4.12, Paul adds that they are also given so that the body of Christ may be built up, may be strengthened and encouraged. In other words, spiritual gifts are not for you. You know, we think about it at Christmas, and you get a gift and you open it, and it's for you, isn't it? It's for you to enjoy. And it's like, oh, I got a new Apple Watch, or I got a new you know, shirt, or, or tie, or I got a new... Uh, you know, Nintendo uh, Switch or something like that, you get a gift that's for you. Spiritual gifts aren't like that. Spiritual gifts are more like you get a vacuum cleaner for Christmas. Guys, I hope none of you bought your wives a vacuum cleaner for Christmas. Because that vacuum cleaner is not just for you then, is it? It's for you to use to help everyone else. Well, that's what spiritual gifts are like. God gives us these manifestations so we can use them for the good of the body, to bless other people. Uh, we're entrusted with them, and therefore we must be good stewards of them. Peter writes about this in 1 Peter chapter 4. He says, Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Again, there's a variety of gifts. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised. Through Jesus Christ. It's not for us to receive the praise. It's always for God to receive the praise. So no matter how God has shaped you, I hope you'll remember that you are gifted. You are shaped for a purpose. And it's equally important to know that no matter what God may ask you to do, He will always gift you with what you need in that moment. A lot of times people misuse the idea of spiritual gifts because they'll say, well, that's not my gift. I don't have the gift of evangelism, so I'm not going to go try to share the gospel with anybody. I, I don't have the gift of teaching, so no, I, I can't help in children's Sunday school. We sometimes will use spiritual gifts as an excuse, but if God is pressing something on your heart and He's giving you an opportunity to serve, guess what? He's going to give you what you need to do it. Amen? He will gift you in that sacred moment that God presents to you with whatever. So just obey in faith. Trust that God will give you the grace, the wisdom, the skill, the power. You need to do whatever it is He's asking you to do. Now, we're going to dig deeper into this, and we're going to look at the spiritual gifts, and specifically look at the problems the Corinthian church was having with spiritual gifts in next week's sermon. So the second part of our shape is our heart. And what does that mean by heart? That means our passion. In Romans 12, 10-11, Paul says that we are to be devoted to one another in love, Honor one another above ourselves. And he says, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor as you serve the Lord. Now, what is this zeal, the spiritual fervor in serving the Lord? Well, the Greek root for the word zeal means to be hot enough to boil over. It's the idea that you're burning with passion for something. Your heart burns because you are so passionate about something. You're so fully committed to something. It's so important to you that you can't contain yourself whenever you have an opportunity to talk about it to someone else. You just exude this enthusiasm. Jeremiah 29 says, But if I say I will not mention His Word or speak anymore in His name, His Word is in my heart like a fire. Jeremiah said, It's a fire shut up in my bones and He can't hold it in. That's... That's that heart passion. You just have such a burning belief and and burden and desire in your heart. You can't contain it. You have to express it. You have to do it. You have to minister in that way. You have to talk about this. And we all know people like this, right? We know people that are deeply passionate, maybe about a a sport. Okay, And they, they know everything about baseball or golf. 
and that they, they follow it religiously. Or maybe they're just deeply, you know, uh, passionate about a sports team, you know, and, and, and you go in their office and there's just orange everywhere, right? It's a beautiful thing. Or maybe you know people that are passionate about a hobby, and they just, they love it, they talk about it, they put pictures of it on Facebook all the time. They exude enthusiasm to the point that it's either annoying or it's contagious, right? And hopefully when it comes to the things of God, it's more contagious than it is annoying. That that's always should be our goal. So what is your God-given passion? You know, finding and living out your passion, and, and that's not just a career. Your career doesn't necessarily have to be your passion. This is, I'm talking about a calling. I'm talking about something that is just so dear to you. It's God's mission for your life. And when you can find that and live that out, it is the greatest source of joy and peace. And really, it's fun. It's such a fun thing to do. So how do you discover this? Well, you have to ask yourself, you know, what do I love most to do? What do I love most to do? Maybe it's working with children. Maybe it's being out in the woods, you know, hunting or, or hiking. Maybe it's working with your hands or traveling. What do you just most love to do? It just, it just makes your heart sing when you have that opportunity. What service opportunities appeal to you the most? Maybe you like teaching new concepts or skills to children or to, or to young people or to adults. Maybe you like to, to meet the felt needs of people, to, to clothe the naked, to, to feed the hungry, to visit those who are sick or in prison. Maybe you feel passionate about missions abroad or about reaching our own community. What service opportunities appeal to you the most? And what cause or need do you feel burdened about and drawn deeply to? Maybe it's foster care. Maybe it's, it's ministering to, to senior adults. Maybe it's literacy or helping people to lose weight and to live healthier lives. Maybe it's at-risk teenagers or coaching parents or strengthening married couples. What need or cause or group has God burdened your heart over? You know, our ultimate passion, though, our ultimate passion should all be the same. It should be fulfilling the Great Commission and glorifying God. That's our ultimate passion. And all these other important but lesser passions must never overshadow our ultimate purpose. And In fact, God gives us these heart passions. He gives us these specific burdens and callings and desires so that we can figure out how He wants us to uniquely contribute to that greater ultimate passion of winning the lost, discipling the saved, and glorifying God. Heart passion. The third part of our shape is our abilities. You know, God doesn't necessarily wait until we become Christians to begin shaping us. In fact, in Psalm 139, it says that God actually begins to form us in the womb, David writes and says, You knit me together in my mother's womb. I was woven together. I, this beautiful picture of God weaving us together, taking all those DNA strands and genetic code and, and, and forming us into each the unique people that we are. So before you were even born, God was already at work in your life, shaping you to be the unique person that you are today. And our aptitudes, our natural-born talents and abilities are a part of that shaping in the womb. You know, when I was a kid, I used to beat myself up because I wasn't more athletic than I am. In fact, my hand-eye coordination is abysmal. It really is bad. And I'm just not very good at sports. But all my friends were. And so I felt like, like Rudolph. They wouldn't let me play the reindeer games because I stunk at them. And so I felt like a misfit. I felt kind of left out. It just wasn't in me, no matter how hard I tried. 
But I've since learned that instead of trying to become better at something that God never intended for me to be good at, I should instead focus on being good at what I am intended to be good at. God, you know, our culture, let me just take a moment, says our culture has become so fixated on this idea of fairness and equality of outcome that we have made everybody miserable because we're not like everybody else. And we become so fixated on this that we obsess over our perceived weaknesses and inadequacies and we become jealous and that's just a recipe for unhappiness, for bitterness, and for never really discovering and living into who God has made us to be. Instead, we should work on maximizing our strengths, not obsessing over our weaknesses. We should hone our skills and play into the strengths that God has designed each of us to have. Why would I try to be better at something that God has put someone else on the earth to do? I need to be better at what God has put me on the earth to do. And so we should focus on being the best at the things God has shaped us each to do. Maybe you're naturally good at music or sports or acting. Maybe you're great with your hands. You're good at sewing or painting or fixing mechanical things or or working on computers and technology. Maybe for you it's writing or dancing. Maybe you're gifted as an artist. Or you're good at helping people with their finances. Maybe it's construction or doing crafts or speaking in public. I could go on. The list is nearly limitless. And what we want to be at First Baptist Church is a a church that helps you express those God-given talents and abilities for His glory and for your joy. Our abilities. This is a church filled with amazing abilities and talents. We need to use it for God's glory. Number four is personality. Okay, so we've, we've, we've gotten down to SHAP. All right, so we're, we're getting there. We're almost to shape. We're at SAP. You know, we all have distinct likes and dislikes, don't we? Can I get an amen? We all have distinct likes and dislikes. We all have our preferences in how we learn and how we organize and how we relate to other people or, or the ways that we make decisions or process information. We call all of these preferences our personality types. Think of it this way. Our spiritual gifts, our heart passions, our God-given natural abilities, they tell us what we're supposed to do. Our personality informs us where and how we do them best. For example... Maybe you're gifted with teaching. That's a spiritual gift that you have. And your abilities and your personality type will work together to influence whether you teach best by writing, through one-on-one conversations, by leading a small group, or by standing in front of a group of people and speaking in public. That's what your personality helps you figure out. And the Bible is full of all sorts of different personality types. And when we get to that sermon, we're going to explore some of them. People like Jeremiah, who was very emotional. Or people like Peter, who was impulsive. And then, of course, we think of Mary and Martha, two sisters whose personalities couldn't have been any more different. They were like oil and water, night and day. And there are lots of great resources out there available to help you discover your personality type. And in our Wednesday Night Shape workshops, we'll, we'll look at a couple of those. But I want to conclude this part with just a couple of important things for us to remember about our personality. First, you are more than your personality type. And I think oftentimes, just like with spiritual gifts, we abuse 
this idea of personality types. And sometimes businesses and schools are, are the worst culprits of this. Like, like we can just put you uh, in a hole. We can peg you if we, if we can get you. Are you a lion or an otter? Okay, well, that's going to determine how we're going to you know, you know, use you where you work. But you are far more than your personality type. Just because you're an introvert doesn't mean you don't like people. Doesn't mean you can't lead a group of people. Doesn't mean you can't make friends. That's not what that means. And it's so easy for us to, again, let our personality types become excuses for not doing something God called us to do. We'll say, oh, I just don't have the personality for that. If God's calling you to do it, guess what? He's given you the personality you have for a reason. So use it. And that brings me to the second point. Don't resent your personality type or try to change it. God gave you your personality for a reason. It's a part of what makes you you. So you need to celebrate it. Lean into your strengths. Thank God that He made you the way that He did and ask Him to help you use your personality for His kingdom. It's one of the things I help married couple or, or premarital uh, counseling sessions. I help couples where they can get married. We, we do a personality assessment. We talk about how our personalities, not, nothing's right or wrong about those. They are strengths. And, and, and it's amazing how couples will have complementary personality types that God puts them together to help them work through those strengths with each other. And that is so true for the church as well. And then the final point, the E, that gives us shape is experiences. Paul says in Romans eight twenty eight that we know that in all things, in all experiences of our life, God works for the good of those who love Him and who have been called according to His good purpose. And in Jeremiah 29, 11, a, a very popular verse, God says, I know the plans I have for you. He says, they're plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. And God is saying that to a group of people that are exiled from their homeland. They're being oppressed. God has a plan for us. And He uses all of the events of our lives, even the events of a year like 2020, to form us into the image of Christ. He uses our life experiences to help us to love Him deeper, to know Him more, to trust Him more. And through our life experiences, He can use us to help our church be a better church and to make more disciples. God uses all the experiences of life, the good, the bad, and the ugly. He uses our successes and our failures. He uses our sorrows and our joys to shape us and to equip us so we can glorify Him and we can help other people. Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. He says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, the God of all comfort. Look what He does. He comforts us in all our troubles. Why? So that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. Now, I've known people who have suffered through some very painful life experiences. Maybe divorce, uh, drug dependency or alcohol addiction, losing a loved one, battling cancer, experiencing a moral failure. And you know what God did? God used that in their life. He used that painful experience to offer support and comfort and encouragement, inspiration to other people. I can't help but think of Ralph Starling. And we sadly had to lay him to rest back before Christmas. He's now in glory. He has celebrated Christmas around the throne of God. 
But I think about Ralph and all the struggles that he had in his life and his own battle with chemical dependency and how God used that to give him a burden, a passion to be able to help others overcome drug and alcohol addiction. He had a burden and a passion to help young people to succeed in life because of others who did the same thing for him. That's what I'm talking about. We use our life experiences, even the difficult things, to help us serve God and edify others. But you know, it's not just the bad things. The joyful times in life as well God can use in us and to help us. Uh, I think about older parents mentoring younger parents or married couples giving wisdom and insight to a young engaged couple. I think about people who have skills that they can teach to others so they can better serve the Lord. Maybe God has given you a particular testimony. You have stories to share. Maybe about how you became a Christian or how you discovered your shape or how you developed a heart passion for a particular area of ministry or a people group. Maybe how you overcame an addiction or how you have seen God work through you to disciple other people. You have stories to share. And if you have a story you think others might benefit from hearing, I would love to hear it. And I would love to work with you in helping you discover ways that you can share that story with other people. And by the way, not wanting to share your story about God's goodness at work in your life is not humility. You actually are withholding praise from God when you don't share your story. Now, maybe you're not ready to share your story yet. Maybe you're still in the midst of that story. God is still working in you. That's okay. But if God has done something miraculous in your life, if God has helped you through something, why not give Him the glory? Why not let Him speak through you to touch somebody else's life and to help them through a tough time? You may be thinking, whew, David, that's a lot to take in 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 about 20, 25 minutes here. Uh, And it is. That's why today's an overview. We're going to take each one of these one at a time and and really look at this and look at examples in the Bible and, and help us to think through this. And if you're curious about how God has shaped you, and I certainly hope you are, I really do hope that you'll come be a part, either on Zoom or in person. Come be a part of our Wednesday Night Shape workshops uh, this month and next month. And and we're going to give you tools. We'll make those available on Sunday mornings as well. But on Wednesday nights, we're going to work through them together and explain them and answer questions and and look a little bit deeper into into what these different personality types mean or the different spiritual gifts mean and how they work together in the church. I really hope that you'll join us. My, My heart's desire is that every member of our church would be able to complete a shape profile at the end of this series and that you would know and that the church staff would know how God has shaped you so we can all better work together as members of the body of Christ. But the most important thing you can do to discover your shape is to pray and to ask God, as David writes in Psalm 139, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. You know, David wrote that prayer after reflecting in that whole chapter about how God had shaped him. Even in the womb, God was shaping him and knew him. So I pray that you would let God reveal to you how he has made you, why he has saved you, how he is shaping you today by his Holy Spirit, what he's calling you to do now through our church. And as you discover your shape, we want to help you celebrate it. We want to help you be equipped and encouraged to cherish it, to live into it, to enjoy it, to use it to reach the lost and to disciple the saved and to build up First Baptist Church. You know, the first gift that God gave was His Son. 
Jesus said He came to seek and to save the lost. Before you can serve the Lord, you've got to be saved by the Lord. Before you can serve God, you have to know God. And the first thing that God has shaped us all for is to have a relationship with Him. And if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that's the first thing I pray that you would focus on. And here in a minute we're going to sing, and I invite you to come and to give your life to Jesus Christ, to let Him impart to you that gift of His Holy Spirit. He brings that abundant and eternal life into each one of us, and He places us into a family of faith. So I pray you would come and do that. And the other thing about our shape is God doesn't shape us in isolation. He shapes us for community. You can't really fulfill your shape unless you're part of a church family because the gifts are there to edify the body. Our abilities are there to help the church fulfill its mission. So if we want to really know and live into our shape, we have to do it in the context of being a part of a church family. Maybe God has led you, not just to worship here, but to come and unite and to become a part in a functioning, serving capacity with the family of faith at First Baptist Church. If God is leading you to do that, I pray you would come. Would you stand with me and pray? We're going to sing, and I, I ask you to respond as God's Spirit leads you. Father, we are grateful for the gift of your Holy Spirit. We're thankful for the gifts of each of our unique abilities and personalities and our life experiences, God, and the burdens you've placed in each of our hearts. And Lord, it's so easy to get caught up in the minutia of day-to-day living and chores to be done and work that has to be accomplished. And we can sort of forget this greater, sacred, holy task to which you have called us. And we live in frustration and, and, and we lack joy because we aren't fulfilling what you have created and saved us to do. So, Father, I pray your Spirit would work in each of our hearts and lives in the coming weeks and help us to really lean into this and to listen closely and to think deeply and to do the the inner work of discovering exactly who you have made us to be and what you have called us to do. And the first thing you call us to do is to put our faith in Jesus and to unite with a local body of believers. And I pray if there's anyone here that need to do those things, they would come right now in obedience and in joy. Trusting in you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.